Okay, so this morning, in some ways, is a continuation from our party that we had yesterday. We had a great time. It was the largest single gathering we've ever had outside of a Sunday morning for discipleship tools. And so it was extremely encouraging. We had a lot of fun. There was a buzz in the atmosphere, the conversations happening, the feedback afterwards, the, the surrendering to God's word. It's all about consecrating 2024 to God. And I did also say, hey, if you got to pick between Saturday and Sunday, make it Saturday. And so most of them took me up on that offer. <laughs> So you who came yesterday and today, double portion blessing upon you. <laughs> Just kidding. God's grace is equal for all. As we pursue him. <laughs> all right, here we go. But this yesterday, today, and the next three weeks really are a process that we love to do as a church family. We've been doing this for about 10 years where we've challenged the entire church family to join together and take the first three weeks of the year and consecrate it to God. I love that biblical word, consecrate. It's so much better than you say like a New Year's resolution that can be very shallow. Consecrate is where you truly say, I'm setting something apart and declaring it wholly unto the Lord. And so we want to declare the whole year as holy. I mean, it's kind of like as a follower of Jesus, in some ways it's like, well, if we're not declaring 2024 under the entire lordship of Jesus, what are we doing? But that's a process. That's a journey. And there's grace for the journey. So as we're learning and growing and being transformed, we're living into that vision right there of being disciples, where we learn and grow and are transformed to be like Jesus and that true Lordship of Jesus increases. Because how many of you know, if you're honest, when you declare Jesus as Savior and Lord, Lordship takes a long time. That's that process of truly surrendering and being transformed so that the Lordship of Jesus permeates your entire being. That's that process of sanctification you might call it, that takes an entire lifetime. It's the process where Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, where as we behold Jesus, as we encounter him, as we get to know him, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. And it's clearly talking about this life. That's why he says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So it's as we're pursuing Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, getting to know him, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another to be like him. In other words, his lordship is permeating our being. And so we're honest with the fact that that takes intentionality on our part. So that's why we want to start each and every year consecrating the year to God with some intentional practices because that's what you see all over God's word. Vision and practices. At we, what we looked at at the beginning, or excuse me, at, at yesterday, is that this little paper, we believe, is a template for personal revival. And that we can all make a faith-filled declaration that this year, revival is going to start with me. And we don't need to wait until revival sweeps the nation and then we kind of get swept up into that river. I mean, hey, where the spirit of God is pouring out, by all means, we're all about like, yeah, go there and taste it. But God is not limited to that in any fashion. And I believe a true healthy disciples confession is because of your power and greatness, revival is going to start with me in my life. Why do I say that? That's a confident statement. Because Jesus finished his revival vision called the Sermon on the Mount with this call to action. Matthew 7, 24. So anyone or everyone who hears these words of mine, 
and puts them into practice will build their life on the rock. And you know what's absolutely interesting and captivating? Every single one of those verbs, nouns, action words are in the singular, which is fascinating, especially given the history of Israel where God often talks about revival and redemption for the whole nation as a, as a collective, as a one. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus died on the cross for everyone. But at the end of his visionary manifesto for personal revival, for seeing the kingdom break through in your life, he's talking to just you. He's saying, you want revival in your life? You want more of the kingdom in your life? I'm talking to you right now. I'm calling you to personal response and responsibility. Are you going to put into practice this heavenly vision? When you do, you build your life singular on the rock so that you can withstand any storm that comes, and they're coming. But that's kind of Jesus' definition of revival, that you can be so powerful, so strong, you can be thriving, singular you can be thriving in the midst of whatever storm comes your way. That's a call, a deep and shocking call to personal ownership for the fruit of your life. Now, that's not to say that we don't deeply need community. We do, and Jesus is very clear about that, and we're gonna get into that, and that's part of our focus in these three weeks. But nobody, nobody can decide for you how you are going to pursue God. That's what Jesus is getting at. He says, you want my kingdom? You want my, you want my revival? That's your responsibility. And so that's why we get excited and confident that these nine goals, so to speak, or visionary type goals that we're going to be pressing into over the next three weeks and the practices that go with them, they're all from the heart of God. They're all from the Sermon on the Mount or teachings that are along the same lines about intimacy with God and life-giving, healthy relationships with others, about serving and ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit to make a difference in the world, to advance his kingdom. That's all the heart of Jesus, and it's amazing that he says, so you want more of that? Make the choice. Come follow me in this new way. Press deeper into knowing me in this way. And through that because of that good news, we can have the confidence to say that, hey, as far as I'm concerned, this year, God, just between me and you, as far as the responsibility of my life, I'm saying I'm not waiting for other people to drag me along. Revival's starting with me. Okay. Amen. Let's pray. Thanks for coming up. We appreciate that. We're done for the day. Okay. <laughs> That was the free intro that I wasn't even planning. No, what, what are we doing up here? Hi. No, I'm just kidding. So that's kind of some of the background of what we were working on yesterday, why we're here. It's a high level of challenge, but it's because we declare Jesus as master. <laughs> that's what Lord means, master. I'm your servant. Now, I'm also your beloved child, but I want you to be Lord of everything. And so what does it look like for you to take responsibility to press deeper into that this year? Now, the beauty of it is there's a lot of grace for this journey, and you're at your own pace. We're not checking up on you. We're not controlling this. We're not saying, oh, you got all nine done? Well, if not, then don't come to church. It's like, no, maybe you do one this year. And if that's where you're at and that's your gift to the Lord and that's the best you got, amen, that's better than zero. So there is abundant grace for the journey. So we're entering into now, officially you could say starting tomorrow, 21 days of 
feasting and fasting. And that originally came from the Daniel fast. If you guys have not heard of that, it's in the book of Daniel, where Daniel fasts for 21 days. And it's this, he kind of puts the, the, uh, the gods of, of Babylon to the test, so to speak. And he says, you know what? I'm going to fast for 21 days. I'm not going to partake of anything of the, the world of Babylon. And I'm going to show you how good my God is. And they come through just like glowing. And it's like, whoa, God can do miracles. And so we kind of use that as a template Along with Jesus's example, of course, he talks about when you fast, not if, when you fast. And he, of course, models 40 days of fasting, food and water. Now, we're not suggesting that. That actually is extremely challenging on your physical health, and you got to be in a, in a good physical place to like, do that. And yeah, like, yeah, Jesus went into the desert 40 days, so if you have no job, no kids, no responsibilities other than just communing with God, then, you know, there's a desert right there. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> But there is a principle in there that's amazingly powerful. And that's why Jesus says, when you fast, which is in his Sermon on the Mount, the way I like to translate it simply is he's just calling us to be aware of discipline. And that in the kingdom, discipline equals freedom and joy. Discipline brings freedom and joy. The ability to say no to certain things because you have a bigger and better yes is a value of God's kingdom. So when Jesus fasted for 40 days, it wasn't because food and water are sinful. It's because he was setting aside them for a particular time as consecrated to the Lord to saying no to those things for the bigger and better yes of communing with God. And so there is a very biblical idea, and it's not just about food, it's not just about water, it's about a lifestyle of discipline to say no to lesser things, not even necessarily sinful things, lesser things to say yes to the better things, the bigger yes, the communing with God. We like to say it around here, you say no to the checks mix of life in order to say yes to the prime rib of God. Because coming our way is lots of stuff that can fill us up but not satisfy. We all know it. That's why in this fasting season, we, we, we challenge ourselves to say what, what might be some of that kind of spiritual checks mix that comes our way that we can say no to because we want to feast or, or do what we can, make our effort to feast on the bigger yes of that prime rib of communing with God with God. Let me talk about the feasting for a moment. So one way to feast, you don't have to do this, but if you want to join with us on this paper, which says 21 days of feasting and fasting for God's vision and practices, pardon the repetition for those who were here yesterday, want to give the invitation for all to be included. There is a calendar right there of 21 days of feasting on God's word. Now, it's actually only 18 specific days because we say Sunday we'll be feasting on God's word here. So this is a Monday through Saturday calendar of just a couple of scriptures. They are short. They are, I mean, you could literally read most of them in two minutes or less because it's not about the amount of information. It's about the surrender and listening to the spirit for transformation, for encounter with God. And so we encourage the idea is that we are in unity walking through these scriptures together on the daily basis. Over the next few weeks, we're feasting on God with greater intentionality. And all of these scriptures coincide with these goal areas that you see on the kingdom vision and practices where we are seeking God for his vision, his goals, his promises, and then how do we put those into practice for the new year, maybe just even in greater measure of what you're already doing, to hunger for kingdom breakthrough. And so we'll dive into a little bit more of the specifics in a moment, but the idea is we really put the emphasis on feasting, God is a feast. 
I mean, there's, I think, is it Psalm uh, 36, 7 to 9, where it talks about, I feast on the abundance of your house. I drink from your rivers of delight. Like, none of this whatsoever is about, like, punishing yourself, like, oh, don't have pleasure and joy because those are bad. Uh-uh, that is the opposite of the gospel. In, Matt, in uh, Isaiah 55, which, are you going to talk about that? I'm going to not steal your thunder. Oh, but I want to so bad. I want to so bad. <laughs> God, in an Old Testament invitation to the gospel, says, why do you spend your money on what is not bread? Come to me and eat so that your soul may live. That's the gospel. It's not about God trying to keep us from having fun. It's about God saving us from the stuff that fills us but's empty versus what satisfies, which is him and him alone. And so that's what we're going after. How are we just dialing up? And that's where it's very personal. How can you take responsibility to dial up your intentional feasting on God to start the year? as a way of saying, you are Lord of all. And that's gonna be a very personal answer, but we believe as <laughs> to live into our vision statement, it's the right way to start the year together. So there's freedom in what is God calling you to do personally, but there's unity in saying, we are journeying through this together. So that's the feasting portion. Let me talk about the fasting, us talk about the fasting portion. And that's where we, we have emphasized this to greater and lesser degrees over the years. Actually, we started with really just fasting and then in the last number of years, we've really emphasized just feasting in some ways. But we feel like there's a, a combination, a healthy uh, tension with both or a healthy engagement with both. As I talked about the feasting so far with these scriptures, we're also going to have a night of worship on Friday, January 19th. So you can mark that. 6.30 p.m. right here will be a, just a night of worship and really soaking in God's presence, seeking the Lord. It might be a good night to even be pursuing some of these goals, listening to the Lord for his vision and direction in addition to the scriptures in against in addition to the idea that this is a daily time spent seeking God for his vision and practices for kingdom breakthrough that prime rib of more of God so lots of feasting that's really the emphasis but fasting is key because we live in a world where that spiritual checks mix is coming hard every day. Where it is, I, I, I'm getting to the point, and we have these conversations all the time with ourselves, it's like, man, unless you are heightenedly aware of the barrage of invitations for that spiritual checks mix every day, coming down now almost to every moment, it's like, unless you're like, hyper aware, then, then it's going to hit you in this overwhelming, almost like the frog in a pot or the fish in the water where it's just so normal, we don't even realize it's happening. And, and we can go throughout our whole day and get distracted to death, distracted to spiritual death in the way. So let me give three S's to put some practicality on this. And in our modern world, again, and we are not dictating what you should do, but I think what I'm about to say is absolutely correct in the, in the spiritual danger. Screens, schedules, and suites. Now, I'm not gonna dictate what the Holy Spirit says to you, but this is, I believe, a healthy, just let's make sure we're aware of the realities Screens. Now, let me start with schedules. Our schedules, we are the most busy 
people that have ever existed in human history. <laughs> Between cars and phones, we have a mobility and a, and a connectedness that human civilization has never known. So we have the ability to hear about all sorts of different pieces of information and events and happenings and the ability to get there and it can absolutely, you can all feel this, right? And this is where, again, I'm not saying what you need to do, but just feel it with me for a moment. How many of you guys went through or have gone through a Christmas season where you're like, I did so much, I'm just mad and exhausted. <laughs> all right, anybody? Where it's just like, what was I doing? I said yes to like everything and like, and by the end, I'm just mad. Like, I don't want to be there. I don't want to do that. Why am I doing that? I'm just saying yes to everything. And, and, and our phones will constantly remind us. They'll invite us. They'll in, tell us about events that are happening locally. It's like you can, you can be unbelievably busy to the way you're, point you're hurried and rushed everywhere. And the cost is you lose that quiet abiding. I love the Jesus model where it says he often left the busyness, I'm inserting that word, to go be alone and pray. Alone. I had a mentor tell me once, as, I, as he was calling me out for being so busy and rushed in my righteous duties as a pastor, and he called me out and said, no, your identity's in that. You don't need to stop that. Jesus was never in a hurry. That phrase blew my mind. And I, I read all four gospels in one hour to find a place where he was in a hurry. <laughs> he didn't let the demands of the world dictate his schedule. I mean, there are times where he literally walks away from revival, ministry opportunity, a full house, people wanting to hear the gospel and get healed, and he leaves to go be alone with the Father. So if even Jesus has permission to say no to the demands of a busy schedule with even good things to do the best thing, which is always listening to the Father, and many times the Father is going to say, come be with me, alone, distractionless, just me and you, kid. Can you hear my voice? Can you be refreshed in my spirit? Can you feel what my spirit is doing? Can you bask in my love? Can you hear a fresh promise? Have you got alone to just worship me? There are things that cannot happen if you're not alone. And I believe Jesus is modeling that. So that's where we go into this saying, I don't want to let schedule be my master. I want to let the Holy Spirit be my master. So teach me, God, to say no to some things. I want my, the Holy Spirit to be the master of my schedule. And what you'll find, as we've found over the years, as we say with heightened awareness in this season, we say no to carve out room for things it becomes a lifestyle to where you're like, I don't want to add that back in. I don't want to add the Chex Mix back. <laughs> I like the prime rib better. And so, or maybe not, or maybe you add in those other things when it's done. But schedules is a big one. Two others, did you want to jump in now? Um, what's your two others? Oh, yeah. uh, my two others, I forgot already. Uh, sweets and uh, what? Screens, thank you. I mean, I just downloaded this off the internet, so I forgot. Anyways, um, no, I didn't. Screens. So you can, in some ways, that goes right along with schedules because part of what overwhelms us in the schedules is the screens. And I mean, you can look it up on the internet if you want, but you can. Uh, here's an interesting Google question: How many hours a day do Americans spend on their screens? 
It's like, I didn't even know there was that many hours in the day. <laughs> it's like 21. It's like, what? It's not that, but it's like crazy oh, high. There you go. Exactly. Like I mean, three. How much time are you spending with God? If leisure time is three, and so that's where the schedules come into the screens. Like one of the things we cut out, like to cut out, is like during this time is TV. Because like, okay, maybe we're a couple times a week, a few times a week, relaxing, watching a show at the end of the day. It's like, you know what? This is, again, again just personal. I'm not saying you have to do it. Cut that out. Three hours of my week. Wow. Do I have my excited, hopeful battle plan of kingdom breakthrough for the year? If I look back on my years, like, well, is that, was that worth, you know, a few shows in my week? To hear from the creator of the universe, his promise for my year, and then the practice to engage it? Man, what's Chex Mix and what's Prime Rib? And so it's just, again, it's not about, because, you know, Watching a show is bad. That's if hey, relaxing together, watching whatever. There's there's time to just chill. That's fine. But it's about are there areas where you want to cut things down? Like for me, one was Facebook a number of years ago, where I was like, I'm kind of just spending a little bit too much time scrolling, and so I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna get off Facebook for three weeks. I could feel my brain addiction by the first day as I'm sitting at my computer doing work and the neuro pathway kicks in, you've worked for an hour, click Facebook. It's right there on your bookmark for a reason. And I'm used to just then scrolling. And the first day I was like, oh my gosh, like my brain has become wired to take a little break with this kind of stimulation. And again, not that Facebook is bad. It can be, social media, whatever. But it's like, I like Facebook for honestly being able to see pictures of friends and family and being kept up to date with even church. What's going on with churches? Hey, send a little encouragement. Send a birthday encouragement, an anniversary encouragement. God bless you with this. I like this. Thumbs up. Hey, breakthrough with your kids. Awesome. So it can be very positive. But for me, what God showed me was my brain had become looking to that as almost this little weird 10 times a day hit of pleasure that God's saying, I want to be that for you. What if every time you took a break, you prayed and sought God's vision for your life or sang a worship song or read a little scripture? And again, it's not like the 10 minutes on Facebook is bad. But that was another one of those things that it became a lifestyle of where it's like, whoa, I gotta be careful. I don't, because it's just kind of this like complacent, filled up malaise where it's like you, you, you weird hit, but not soul satisfying. So it's like now it's more of that lifestyle change of like, hey, maybe once a day, maybe once or twice a day, check in with the friends, you know, try to be a little blessing and encouragement and I'm out. That's not necessarily for you. I'm giving honest examples. Just be aware. Like, for example, if you just put down your phone for a day <laughs> and turn off the TV for a day, unless it's 100% mandatory because of your job, so outside of don't get fired for this, <laughs> Jesus does not want you fired in 2024, outside of that, just put it off, turn it off, and just feel what happens. That's what happened to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't like what I feel. I don't like feeling the reality of my dependence on this in a funky way that's not soul satisfying. And so have some fun with it because you're covered by grace. So anything God reveals, it's only because he wants you to experience more of his abundant life. None of this is about condemnation. This is about giving up Chex Mix to get more of Jesus, the prime rib. And the last one, sweets. I had a very similar experience with sweets, where it's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, bro. So I'm not addicted to sugars. Like, until I try to not have it for a day. And I, after dinner, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm serious. Like, it was weird. It's like my brain is wired after dinner to get that little sweet. 
And maybe you find something similar. Maybe it's 10 times a day. Maybe it's as soon as you get upset. I, I've, I've, ooh, that's a real thing. <laughs> Having a bad day? Well, Snicker bar chemically alters your brain. It does, actually. Yeah. That's not unreal. And so there's things where, it's just, again, I'm not saying... Like, hey, you know, if you just want to, like, demonstrate your freedom in Christ, go buy a Snicker bar and just eat it right now afterwards. I'm free in Jesus. That's fine. It's not about legalism. This is about as that follower of Jesus who just wants more and more of him. It's an, it's an honest, you're being willing to be honest. Like Psalm 139 says, examine me. Holy Spirit, examine me. See if there is any way in me that is off target. That's what sin is, by the way. The word sin, the Greek, hamartia, it's an archery term, and it means you missed the target. So in some ways, fasting can often reveal ways we're missing the target. Man, I'm going to sugar regularly to just get a little high, a little, little hit. Now, Ah, that's a tough one. It's being willing to say, God, do you want to sharpen my, my aim? Even just for three weeks. And then after, that's kind of the really fun thing at the end of the three weeks is to say, you, you will feel the sharpness in your aim. I, I rarely ever feel or hear people's feedback of after going through this and engaging and feeling those, those aims get sharper, I rarely ever feel people say like, yeah, that did nothing. Almost always it's the same thing. It's like at first it was hard. <laughs> I was a little grumpy. But then in that second and third week, I really felt that sharpness, that focus, that communion and connection with the Holy Spirit, with the presence of God. And then it's like this, okay, so right there, and that's like, so why do we ever want to go back to just kind of the, the, the malaise that our culture's throwing our way? And that, but that's, again, that's kind of the fun question that you and the Holy Spirit get to wrestle with at the end. When you feel that sharpness, I believe the healthy question is, and what do you want this just normal, God? so that I can just be feasting all year on prime rib and, and learning to let go of Chex Mix. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the lens for all of this is abiding in Christ. Amen. Is Christ our dwelling place? Is Christ our refuge? And so... What I was actually feeling with this fast, I actually got a, a, a few really amazing words that I'll share later, but I was feeling like for many of us that the Holy Spirit wanted to lead us in lifestyle habits, in choosing something, in choosing to give up something that is a lifestyle habit that is inhibiting your growth and intimacy with God. Amen. That is not for any of anyone else to tell you. That's for the Holy Spirit to show you. And we all, living in the world, this modern day world that we live in, none of us are exempt from that. Absolutely none of us, because we have all of these man-made things that if you look at the science, you know, go check out Andrew Huberman's, Dr. Andrew Huber, Huberman's podcast, amazing neuro surge scientist um, from Stanford. Stanford. He's actually just become a believer, which is amazing. Um, but it's all, it's all in there where it's, when it's not divine design, it affects you in ways that God never intended. The screens are addictive, and I'm, I'm not being judgy in any way, sugar is addictive. It's man-made and processed. And I would just, <laughs> if you question it, just stop it and see what happens. And then I'll stop it for like weeks and then I'll have a little and it's like, my precious. 
And it's like, I mean, it's like a drug. And it's like the next day, and I do, and it's, I mean, it's honestly really hilarious. Ask my in-laws, like the few couple times, when I go out, you know, with them, typically it's like, okay, you know, we're gonna have a little party with the family and I'll have sugar, and they just laugh. They sit there and giggle, because I'm like, three desserts, you know, or whatever. I mean, but it's like you become this animal. At least for me, eating, I do one meal a day. It's awesome. I've been doing it for years. It's tremendous benefits on my health. I eat a massive portion in that time, enough for lots of meals a day. But um, when I come that hungry, and if the sugar thing is turned on, because it is a drug, oh my gosh. Like we're talking like it could be like six chocolate bars or downed in like a couple minutes. It happens. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but tub of ice cream, no match for you. Yeah, really. Well, not, maybe not a tub. I actually tried that one time and it hurt. I was like, I could do this. I could finish it. And it was like, why did I do that? That was horrible. Um, but m my point is what Jesus has. My, well, my, my, my point in mentioning that is there's no judgment. And it's all about our journey with Jesus. Yes. It's all about where is he leading? Where is his hand reaching out to us saying, I want to give you more. I want to give you better. I don't want you settling for checks mix in this area anymore. Or he might be saying, I know you didn't even realize you were settling for checks mix in this area, but I have something so much better for you. So this is between you and God. And I absolutely know that the Holy Spirit is going to be leading us and that there is going to be amazing breakthrough in intimacy with God. And, and I also felt this word, and in wholeness. Because in any, you know, we can pursue virtually anything in place of God. Anything. It doesn't have to be anything that's inherently sinful in itself. We need food to survive, but we can go to food for comfort, you know? I mean, the, the list goes on and on, so it's really about the Holy Spirit showing you, illumin opening the eyes of your heart, opening the eyes of our hearts. We, we, I'm excited about this um, for myself. He's excited about this for himself. It's just more glory, more goodness, um, I'm trying to think where I want to go next. There was a couple things. I felt the, the Lord saying that he wanted to release his explosive dunamis power among us. And that the key to that release of the dunamis power, which is a word that is used for the explosive power of God all throughout the New Testament, and it literally means dynamite, explosive. And I felt like the key for us each individually experiencing that is to honestly and with an open heart go to God and ask him, what is something that you want me to give up? so that I can experience more of you. Now, for some of us, it may just be a temporary thing that we're giving up for three weeks. I was feeling that for many, it's going to be something that maybe you've been feeling for a while, or maybe God is just revealing this to you, but a lifestyle habit change to open up. Instead of receiving the currency of the world's, receiving the presence of God and being in unity with him. And the power, the dunamis explosive power is in each person getting with God alone and saying, talk to me, daddy. Where do you want to give me better? Where do you want to give me more? And in any way where we feel God personally leading us, there's no judgment in looking on at anybody else who maybe still does those things. Everybody is on a different journey and at a different place. And there are seasons in life. But an awareness of where we are finding refuge, peace, 
and pleasure is a really good place to start. The Holy Spirit may show you, hey, you've been going to this as a refuge or as a pick-me-up. I wanna be your pick-me-up. I wanna be your refuge. I have so much more for you. And, and we, I just feel like the Holy Spirit, even as I speak those words that he's ministering, he's here ministering. He wants to do that for all of us. There's not one person in this room that isn't gonna have that kind of experience with God if they open their hearts up because we all need him. We all need more of him in that way, especially in this world that we live in that offers checks mix on the daily and not even that checks mix on the moment by moment by moment of come and, come and, get, your, come and get your fill here. And Jesus is saying, I am your oasis. I am your living waters. I will satisfy you more deeply than that ever satisfies you. And I want to, I, I see a picture that he wants to dig. It's like, um, I see a picture of the desert and then there's a, I don't know what you call it, <laughs> digging a trench, big trench for a river to flow. He doesn't want us settling for the quick fix. That it's so easy. Oh, you can just get you can get a quick fix. You can get your quick drench this way. With God in our world now, it's instantaneous gratification. With long-term loss in manifold ways. With God, it takes effort. You're going to feel the tension. You're going to feel the emptiness as those things are taken away and it's like, ah! and he's calling us to press in deeper, to be comfortable with being uncomfortable because he has something so much greater. Because with all of these things, they're so addictive. I mean, our world is addictive, you know? And not just things that we identify as addictive, naturally like alcohol and weed and drugs. But you know, all the things we're talking about, it's all addictive. Even processed food is addictive. They put chemicals in there, so you keep coming back. There's a reason, I remember, it was so funny. My dad and my um, stepmom, were, we were at Olive Garden, and she goes, <laughs> she, she eats mostly natural food, and so we got in there, and you know, they alter their food with chemicals, so you wanna eat it more, and she eats this bread, and she goes, whoa there's something in there that just did something to my brain and I just want to eat it more. And I'm like, oh my gosh, well, you're probably right. But the point is, God tells us to be sober and be watchful because the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion. The key to restoring our physical, spiritual, emotional health is a return to divine design. It's not about being a holy roller. It's not about being extreme. It's about God, how did you create the world? What did you design for me? And not believing or settling for what the world tells us is the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Did you want to add something? Actually, real quick. Yeah, I thought so. Uh, let I me. Think you wanted to say something. Yeah, let me read the verse in, in Psalm 63, 1 to 5. This is the checks mix verse. It's in the Bible. <laughs> verse 1. So I, you can read it later, meditate on it, or just ponder it, but this is an incredible invitation from God to seek Him for that prime rib. David confesses in verse one, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I shall seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So that's kind of the checks mix piece of there is nothing in this world that can satisfy your soul outside of God. 
And then he concludes, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Verse five, my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. David literally <laughs> has us picture prime rib. The fattiest fat cut of meat. And David says, that's what you are to my soul. Juicy. <laughs> Satisfying. And so there's the biblical picture of with that hunger and thirst that is, that is a blessing and God-given, what are you seeking after? What are you going to to have that soul hunger and thirst satisfied? It's a gift from God, but where you put it matters huge. David confesses rightly that only you, God, my soul will only be satisfied with the marrow and fatness of knowing you, being in your presence, communing with you, hearing from you, abiding in you, all of those good biblical encounter words. So there's the picture of saying no to one thing because God is always offering the best yes. Yeah, a better yes. And it's a process from glory to glory right? It's a process. So have grace for yourself. Sometimes going cold turkey on something isn't the best way to go. Because, you know, you can, some people can, you know, it's like you cut off all of these things and then you find yourself wanting to binge on them two weeks later. So be Holy Spirit led in this process. And, and there's grace. And, and I would encourage you to get real honest with trusted fellowship. Don't be embarrassed. We have story. We have personal stories. Everybody has a story. We all get hooked on things. We all go to other places to seek satisfaction, sometimes with, with being aware of it and sometimes being unaware of it. It's just our culture. And there's so much power in living in a place of true honesty and vulnerability with other believers, confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another so we can be delivered. Don't be ashamed. Do not let the enemy get you with shame. Shame is just a lie from the enemy so he can keep us in a cage. None of us are perfect. We all struggle and there is so much power in the togetherness, in being honest. My closest friends, when I get together with them, blah, I just, I mean, and, and yeah, they're laughing right now, but it's true. It's because I don't wanna stay at that place. I don't wanna, I don't wanna keep that yuckiness covered up just so I can look good or maybe not feel, not feel, I don't know, exposed. It's not worth it. It's, it's really partnering with the devil if we're not honest and vulnerable with where we're struggling. It's partnering with the devil to keep the stronghold in our life. And God has so much better for us. And there is just so much beauty when we come together and admit our brokenness and partner together to see the power of God break through in our lives. And we all have those areas. Whether or not you have a substance addiction or a whatever addiction or a what, we all have areas where we are seeking other things as our refuge, as our peace, as our joy, as our pleasure. And God has better for us. Yeah. Um, I wanna go into something specific that I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted us to highlight during this time. And for some in this room, this may be your fast. I felt like God was speaking to me about this. Gosh, how long has it been? Like two years? <laughs> just kind of been waiting on him for the timing. And I felt like he just said, I want to throw this out there now for my children to remove this with no guilt, 
with no shame, with no condemnation. And that's something so important for us to remember. He doesn't show us something that he wants to change so that he can condemn us. Perfect love casts out fear. He shows us because he loves us and he wants to lift us out of the pit and he wants to give us something better. So there is no condemnation. You will not see or experience condemnation in this church body and you're not gonna get it from Jesus because he's our model. He just says, come as you are. Let me free you. And for, and for almost all of us, most of these things are a process. Mm-hmm. They're a process and we're gonna do well and we're gonna fail as God deeply digs these trenches for his spirit in our soul, the trenches for the living water where we've been going after other things. It's a process. And there's no condemnation. I really feel like God wants us to hear that. There is no condemnation for any area that you are going to another source intentionally or unintentionally. There is, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. There's no condemnation. There's just his hand reaching out to you like the, like the father of the prodigal son saying, I love you. I don't care how long you've been doing this. My heart for you is love. I want to embrace you. I want to fill you. I want to free you. Don't look at how many times you struck out trying to get free of this. Don't look at that. Just keep your eyes on Jesus and don't go at it alone. All right, Ephesians 5.18. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's a contrast there, and we can't have both. But there's some nuances there that I want to get into because sometimes we might think, oh, well, I don't get drunk. Because surely and very obviously, when you are drunk, you're not, we are not led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, when we're drunk, when we are inhibited by alcohol, what actually happens is the frontal lobe of your brain, the part that is your like executive function of do this, don't do this, it gets completely impaired which is why people do really stupid things when they're drinking. It's also why when you drink to take the edge off, you relax because the part that is worrying and concerned about things gets numbed by a substance. So the nuance here that I want to get into is that in any way, that we are using a substance, it could be pot, it could be anything. In this case, I felt like God wanted me to go into alcohol because in any way where we are drinking to relax, to take the edge off, to have fun, it's a counterfeit relaxation, fun, and taking the edge off. And God is calling us to so much more. Do not be drunk with wine. Do not take the edge off with wine. He's saying, come to me. Come experience my peace. Come experience my love. It's not a quick fix. It's not a substance that immediately alters your mind and takes you out of that zone. It's a process of pressing into him to experience, to have the transformation inside of you to where instead of feeling weak and stressed and anxious and needing to go to a substance to take the edge off, you come to Jesus, you get transformed, you become strong and powerful, filled with his love, able to abound with fruit in every season, He wants us to come to him for peace, for fun, for courage, for joy. 
And there is a contrast in that passage because you can't have both. When your frontal lobe is being inhibited in any way by alcohol, you are not being led by the Holy Spirit and you are not being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's no option there. When your mind is being altered by something, you're not being filled or led by the Spirit. And he has so much more. The relaxation, the taking the edge off, the happiness, the ability to have fun with alcohol is counterfeit. That's a good word. It's food that doesn't satisfy. Well, it's a substance that doesn't satisfy. And I, and I'll read, I wanna read Isaiah 55. Come all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to say this, come by wine and milk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, I will say that back then wine was a huge deal because the water was so unsanitary. And you can have wine as long as it has zero effect on your mental faculties as approved of by you and those around you. Because a lot of times people think they're fine and their family's like, dad's checked out. If your eyes are glazed, if your family's complaining, if you are in any way unity and communion and fellowship with Jesus, that's your red flag. Because alcohol or any mind-altering substance shuts down your ability to commune with God and it robs us of our source of life and what we were truly created for. Um, I'm gonna finish reading this verse that I cut off on. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. God has so much more for us. He doesn't ever want us to take the edge off with alcohol. And I'll also throw this out there. Alcohol, um, Dr. Andrew Huberman and many of the doctors that I listen to, they've recently done studies on um, basically how all of the studies that were put out about red wine having health benefits were paid for by the red wine companies and that the, and altered by the red wine companies and that they are, it's actually incredibly toxic. So if you're having alcohol every day, I'm just gonna throw it out there that I don't think that's a healthy thing, even if it has zero effect on your mental capacity. They've actually shown, and you can look up the studies, that it atrophies the frontal lobe of the brain. It atrophies um, the amygdala, and eventually you end up with permanent damage to your brain that inhibits you from connecting to God and with the people that God wants in your life. So it's not a pretty thing, it's not a funny thing. So I, I wanna throw that out there. If you drink regularly to take the edge off, or if you drink regularly, honestly, go to God with this. Are you, are the, is there any effect that the alcohol is having on your mind? Because it's, if it's anything more than zero effect, you are, then you are regularly numbing out and choosing alcohol over the Holy Spirit and you're getting robbed. You're getting robbed of the abundant life. He has so much more for us. He is our refuge and our strength. Alcohol is not our refuge and our strength. In God's presence is fullness of joy. We don't need alcohol to have fullness of joy. And he doesn't want us to have alcohol, to have fullness of joy. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's so much joy. And so I wanna end on this, that there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. So if, this, if you feel that this is resonating with you and you've been drinking for any of these reasons and you drink regularly, there is no condemnation. God has something better. He wants to reach out his hand and say, I don't want you settling for the counterfeit anymore. I wanna give you the real thing.
that's lasting. The other thing is, if we are regularly going to substances to take the edge off or for any reason to make us feel better, there are always deep heart issues that we're trying to numb out from. He wants to be your savior. He wants to be your healer. Whatever place in your heart is like a trauma place or a trigger that makes you wanna escape, he wants to touch your heart and heal you. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. We know, you know, there are multiple people in this church that are open, honest about their struggle with alcohol, with drugs, with whatever substance it is. I wanna commend you guys. I wanna bless you. This is the way to victory. Grabbing the hands of your brothers and sisters, never letting go. And you know what? It's our job as the body to carry one another's burdens and to go to battle together because the enemy is big. But when we gather together, instead of being little tiny pieces of the body, you know, a hand over there, you know, an eyeball over there, we gather together and we become a giant. We become a giant in the spirit realm that can squash the power of the enemy. And I guarantee you that as you have the courage to come forward and be honest about these areas, whether it's alcohol in specific, which I'm actually issuing a challenge, if you struggle with alcohol, I'm gonna be honest and say that if you don't confess that to somebody, both mentors and leaders and fellowship, that you're living in disobedience because God has better for your life. God has better and there is no shame. There is no condemnation and don't let anybody lie to you and tell you that there is because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and he says, neither do I condemn you. Yeah? Amen. Amen. I love that word counterfeit because as you think about it, it's like, wow, and you can, it can be alcohol. It can be the, the sweets, the screens, the schedules, all of it is like, if you think about the counterfeit, it's so interesting, like peace, courage, joy, love, like all these things where it's like, wow, like the enemy truly is offering the counterfeit to the literal fruit of the spirit. And it's like, no, I don't want to let him seduce me into any type of counterfeit kingdom. I only want the authentic fruit of the spirit. I only want what God has. And like Don says, this is, this is the process. This is a journey. But it's sobering to see that counterfeit reality all around us and to know that therefore I say no because we have the best yes. Because this is a dry and weary land. It's not gonna satisfy. We keep having to come back and back and back and the peace didn't remain. The courage didn't remain. The joy didn't remain. And Jesus is saying, I want my peace to remain. I want my joy to be full in you. I want you to be courageous to be able to face any giant because I am with you and I'll never leave you or forsake you. And so you just see that checks mix all around versus the lasting eternal kingdom of God being birthed and flowing through us. And God has a better gospel. So let's pray and, and press into him this, this new year together. Heavenly Father, we just want to say you have the better gospel. We pray you would help us to see clearly and have the courage to say yes to you, to aim for you with more precision than we ever have, to say yes to your better gospel that glorifies you and satisfies our soul. God, I just thank you I just love that you're such a good father. I love that there is no condemnation, that we don't have to beat ourselves up for how long we've struggled with something, that every day is a new day, that there's new grace and new mercy. And I feel like there, I just see this picture of kind of like, um, of someone coming out of a grave in, similar to the cave or the tomb where Jesus was, you know, kind of buried in this cave type thing. And 
wherever we've been in a tomb for a long time, the spirit of the living God is in the room now to bring resurrection life. But it takes risk, it takes opening up, and it takes being honest with more than just one person. It takes grabbing the hands of trusted members of the community so that we can venture on together as a family into victory where none of us is alone and isolated. And you know what? <laughs> the devil is shaking in his boots right now. The devil is shaking in his boots. And so I just, God, I just thank you for the freedom. I thank you that whatever your Holy Spirit leads us to let go of during this fast, that we get to be joyfully honest with our brothers and sisters, that there's no condemnation, and that we would be super excited to confess our struggles and our hangups and our sins, knowing that when we do that, that we will not experience any judgment, but we will experience your healing and your resurrection power. We will begin and embark on a process of resurrection life. And so God, I just thank you. I felt like the word he was releasing over today was wholeness, that you are taking away what we have settled for that does not satisfy, that you, that there is a holy heavenly swap that is happening right now that is a process inside each of us where you are helping our hearts to turn to you to be truly satisfied and you are restoring to us wholeness so we don't need to go anywhere else. We come to you and you only. You are the source of life. You are the living water. And we thank you that, and we, and we say thank you expectantly that you are doing a deep work in each and every one of us. In each and every one of us, if and we have a choice. It's if we have the courage to open up and not do it alone and confess that God is mighty. And I'm just declaring in advance, and I know it and believe it, that at the end of this fast, as we open up and become vulnerable, more vulnerable with one another in community, that we will have the spoils of victory and testimony of breakthrough and power at the end of this three weeks. A testimony that rocks all testimonies. We thank you in advance, Jesus. Amen.